Hi, and welcome back to Make and Tain. I'm the host, Dan Kelly, and this is Make and Tain, the podcast breaking the stigma and lifting the lid on inspiring individuals who are making a difference. Join me every Monday morning as I interview different guests who are breaking barriers, challenging norms, and shine a spotlight on inspiring individuals who are creating positive change. Mental health could could be related to physical health, um, and, and, may, and maybe vice versa. Like for me, when I stopped eating gluten and dairy and and stuck to that, and um, my EOE symptoms would go away, those panic and anxiety attacks also went away. I think a lot of it probably was because of the scare, like the scariness of feeling like I'm going to choke on food. My mom was great; she was the one I called every time that I had these panic attacks, and. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I, 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 I do the over. same as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you just want yeah, to call your mom. Yeah yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. So mom was the, you know, the goat during that. And, you know, she, she came up clutch, you know, but talking me off, you know, the, the ledge a little bit with, you know, how much I was freaking out on the side of a highway after I just had a panic attack. Bread is just minuscule. The bread is tiny. It's like comically tiny. small. The, the, the common breads, at least in the U.S., they're, like literally this big, um, and oh, I'd be wow. making a sandwich with with like yeah. my cold cuts, and it would be flapping yeah. over the bread. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Making Time Podcast. I'm joined by Phil Hates Gluten. He's a full time content creator and advocate for the gluten community, and I've had quite a few different people on the podcast, and I always say to him at the end of the episode, like, who would you recommend or who should you have on? And Phil's name got brought up time and time again so super excited to finally sit down with Phil to kind of talk about his upbringing and story obviously being brought up in Boston um, but also we kind of touched upon obviously his chronic condition obviously gluten how he like set up the page but also mental health I think not many guys always kind of speak about mental health and be so open and honest about obviously his panic attacks and kind of what he went through so and just before I jump into the episode I just want to say thank you for you guys which tune into the podcast every Monday morning to kind of listen to the episodes and yeah I feel like I'm getting like more comfortable now I feel more confident and really excited to kind of see where the podcast kind of takes me over the next weeks and months and hopefully years so yeah thanks again if you're new to the Making Same podcast make sure to click that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future episodes every Monday morning and the more subscribers on the podcast, the bigger guests I can get on. So yeah, if you guys can like share it or leave me a view, honestly, appreciate all the support. So grab yourself a cup of tea. Let's jump into the podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Making Tain. So I'm joined by Phil Hates Gluten. You're like advocate with obviously in the gluten community space. Could I even say rapper as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I think that's generous to say a rapper, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, um, an advocate for the gluten free space and trying to break the stigma of what people think of when they hear gluten free, um, you know, kind of similar to what you're doing with the podcast. So, no, it's incredible. Obviously, I kind of came across you on TikTok and I thought your videos is like, I love how you're like having your own kind of like twist on it with your kind of your humor and your kind of personality. And I think it kind of really stood out to myself. For the listeners who may have not come across your page before, would you like to do a little introduction? Yeah. Um, hey guys, I'm Phil. I have an account on primarily TikTok and Instagram uh, called Phil Hates Gluten. It's just at Phil Hates Gluten. Uh, and I make videos about living gluten free and trying to find like the humor in it, uh, make skits. Like Daniel said, I make rap sometimes that probably make everyone's eardrums bleed, but it's fun for me to do. Uh, and I just try to make people laugh and, and, make relatable stuff while hopefully educating in a way um, about the difficulties of being gluten-free and or the things that we can eat, the things that don't taste like crap, you know. So um, it's been fun. I've been doing it for a few years now, and uh, it's my full-time job now, which is crazy. Uh, it's yeah, honestly, it. I'd love to kind of like delve into that as well. If we go back to kind of the very beginning, you're, are you the youngest sibling? I am. Yep. I have an older brother, uh, Carlton, and an older sister, Amy. So I'm the youngest how, of uh, three. How was that kind of growing up being kind of the youngest sibling? Was a are you, do you, are you all very similar personalities? You all get on really well. Oh, yeah. Um, so my sister's, I think, six years older than me. My brother's four years older than me. And we always just miss each other in school. You know, I would go to like um, middle school when he was leaving middle school and going on to high school. And then yeah. I would go to high school as, you know, and then college. 
So it was frustrating because I always wanted to go to school with him because um, he was like my idol growing up. Like every interest I have now as a 29 year old, yeah. I look back, I'm like, my brother is probably the reason why I'm interested in baseball, you know, rapping, yeah. um, music, making videos. Um, and so he was a big inspiration from that and someone I looked up to. And same with my sister. Um, you know, she was an athlete and, and she's really funny. Uh, she has a few kids and so uh, yeah. I, I was an uncle pretty young and, and uh, it was oh, really amazing. fun to learn that. Um, so I, I loved being the youngest uh, of, uh, of three. I was going to say, was sports like very much part of your kind of life growing up? I know you did quite a few sports yourself, like, like baseball, yeah. like basketball was a huge one as well. Yeah. So I played baseball, basketball and soccer my whole life. Um, I wanted to play football, but my, uh, my grandfather didn't want me to. <laughs> yeah. He, he, my, my parents made us play soccer, although me and my brother wanted to play football, which I think in retrospect was good because we were short and fast. And I feel like that's better for soccer than football. Yeah, yeah. We would have got, you know, manhandled, but yeah, I, sports were a huge part of my life. I didn't have time to do anything else. Cause I played two sports at a time, you know, every weekend, you know, in the week. So up until high school, I played three sports. And then when I went to college, I oh, wow. was like, I'm not good enough to play at like a school that you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm five, six and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not playing basketball. I'm, I'm okay at soccer and baseball is the only thing I had an option on. But yeah. I mean, you can um, say that about like, Messi. Messi's all right. And he's, he's quite smart. I wasn't messy though. I was not messy. Put it that way. I was just fast yeah. at the time for high school. Um, but yeah, I love, I, I love it. And it's still something that like when you're in your late twenties, it's hard to like recapture that feeling of playing an organized sport. Yeah. Um, men's leagues aren't the same kind of, you know, itch to scratch with that. Yeah. So Something do you, I missed. Do you still play much sport now then? Do you just I like doubling it now? Yeah. I So the irony, again, being short, is, is that basketball is the easiest to play now. And so, uh, you know, to get a few guys and play basketball, and um, it's probably my worst sport, but it's the most fun for me and most entertaining. Um, but I play a good amount, but I started getting like, I got a concussion like two years ago playing basketball and like my first oh, wow. week of work at a new job and I'm like I don't know it was it was like at the timing of it kind of like I was like I I, I don't want to be getting hurt playing basketball it always happens doesn't it like you start a new job and like I had to learn all this new stuff and my brain was like you know at half speed it was it was tough so that ever since then I've kind of stopped playing so much and I just kind of go to the gym and walk uphill or something for cardio yeah <laughs> no as i got older i'm like trying to get down to the gym more like so yeah. it's like your body starts slowing down because i was like when i was younger i like just like eat anything and just won't put on weight and then yeah you hit your, i've hit my 30s now i'm like god like, i need to start doing more cardio yeah oh yeah i know it's it's the worst but you gotta do it and i don't do it so i, I i'm i'm there yeah. with you yeah um, if we go back to obviously like, obviously you're from Boston. I mean, how was, how was that growing up in, in Boston? Um, did you enjoy it? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a running joke for people who live in Boston, um, that I don't actually live in Boston. I live 15 minutes North of Boston. And when I say 15 minutes North, I mean about 30, 35 minutes North of Boston, but we always claim Boston as like, you know, where we're from, but I lived in a yeah. suburb outside of Boston. Um, it was great. Uh, you know, I could go into the city and watch Celtics games or, you know, Red Sox games. And um, all my friends growing up are, are, are the friends I have today. Um, you know, just were over watching the game last night. So I have like lifelong friendships from growing up in that town. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Boston. I love the people here. All very, you know, kind of down to earth, salt of the earth people. Um, and that's I've, I had ambitions to move for so long to go to like L.A. or New York city or something. Um, and I've just stayed and I don't regret it. Uh, cause it's just a great place to be. Um, and I can visit those you, places. You still got all your friends as well. Cause I saw you did a video about obviously like the gluten free bit. Um, yeah. are they all your friends from school? You all kind of got brought up together. Oh yeah. Yep. Those are all my buddies from high school. Um, yeah. and that was fun to do cause they're, you know, guys who love beer and, and I was so yeah. curious if we could fool them by giving them a few beers and seeing if they could guess which one was gluten-free and they couldn't, which is, which is a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I know. I thought it was funny. I was going to say, as, as many people from Boston, did, did many people kind of move out of Boston or do you feel like everyone's kind of like stayed there? Cause I know I'm, I'm originally from Manchester City and I kind of moved straight to London as soon as I yeah. graduated. But even like my uni, I went to a lot of people just stayed in the small town of Huddersfield, which is yeah. like a small town on the outskirts of like Manchester and Leeds. Um, 
how, how is that in Boston? Do a lot of people kind I, of stay there? I think so. I think more than other places. Like, um, I, I feel like if you were to come here and go to a bar or a restaurant, like uh, most of the people would be from Boston versus like if you were to go to New York City um, or again, LA or whatever, like you might have a lot of people who moved there. Um, but I feel like a lot of people stay here um, who live in Boston for whatever reason. I think, you know, they're just really proud to be from Boston. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of pride from the city. So that's probably why. Yeah. And can we kind of talk about your journey behind obviously setting up Phil Hates Gluten and, and why do you hate gluten so much? Can we kind of talk about, obviously you got, yeah. di- you got diagnosed with it. Was it a chronic illness when you was 24? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was 24, I was diagnosed with something called eosinophilic esophagitis, which I pronounced wrong for a calendar year. I, I, I just figured out how to, me to pronounce it. <laughs> some people some people's actually pronouncing it and i was like there's no way i struggle to pronounce my name at the best of times never mind like a chronic yeah Yeah, you really worked your way around that i i i I respect it i respect it um yeah i i you could call it eoe is what people call it but yeah um i was getting all these symptoms um of weird stuff that i really never felt at least to this extreme um a lot of gastrointestinal symptoms things like I was bloating like crazy. Um, I was getting uh, a lot of heartburn, um, a lot of, like a heart palpitation feeling, yeah, yeah. I, which led to like trouble swallowing. I was having trouble swallowing foods. It was just like difficult to swallow. And then actually food it's getting scary caught. as well. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because when it, I mean, you don't think of it, you know, eating is such a second nature thing. Um, and you don't think when you eat, you know, you just mindlessly eat while you're watching That's TV or something. Yeah. But when you're having trouble swallowing, you're so conscious of it, and it actually co- creates a lot of anxiety, um, especially when you get food impactions, which is a big symptom of EOE, is when food gets stuck in your esophagus. It's not stuck in like your throat where you choke you know, and, 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 and have trouble breathing, but it's stuck in your esophagus, which feels like you're choking, but you can breathe. It's, 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 it's this weird thing, and it's just very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's like in the middle of here, um, and it happened to me four or five times in like the worst situations you know, at work. Uh, and yeah, at, at home alone. Um, and it was, so it was super, super scary. And eventually that came to a tilt and I was like, I need to figure out what's going on. Um, cause I think as maybe a person, but I mean, talking for myself, uh, you know, I was just like, okay, this is weird. I'm feeling these weird symptoms. It'll go away. I can power through this, you know, I'll get over yeah. it. Uh, nothing's wrong with me. Um, but I think I accepted that something was up and, and, uh, you know, eventually I went into the hospital and they, they gave me an upper endoscopy and diagnosed me with eosinophilic esophagitis, uh, GERD, which is chronic acid reflux, and a small sliding hiatal hernia. So the triple threat oh, wow. uh, of uh, GI things, I guess. So was it was even like one thing. It was like, yeah, one after another. Is it? Is so, it I'm not going to say yeah. that. Is it quite common then, like the, the condition? Which, no, which, I, no. I, I think GERD. So initially they, they said I had GERD. Um, and I looked that up and that's the chronic acid reflux. And I think that's pretty common. Um, it's just like getting acid reflux every day in some capacity. And it creates a lot of hoarseness, a lot of, um, like a ball in the throat, like a tickling in the throat kind of feeling that's there all the time. It creates these certain unique symptoms. And then a couple days later when the endoscopy, the, the biopsies came back from the endoscopy procedure that they did on me, um, is, uh, they, they told me I had eosinophilic esophagitis, which I think the symptoms overlap a little bit. Um, but like EOE could cause a lot of acid reflux and stuff. So, um, I don't know what, where the symptoms start and where the symptoms end. Uh, so it's kind of difficult to like yeah. say for me specifically, but you know, um, yeah, I have all three of them and it was creating a lot of those issues for me. And when I was 24, I had a figure this stuff out and that was really really tough and shocking to me to to start that journey yeah i definitely at 24 as well because i mean i've had myalgia since i was five so you kind of you, you get by as you, as you mm-hmm. get older but i think it's always harder when people get kind of get diagnosed with stuff like obviously later on in life and trying to yeah kind of adapt to that you mentioned obviously then when when you're at the hospital what what did they do how did they find out did this do like an operation or the yeah it's like a colonoscopy but the other way it's uh you they 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 go in through the mouth and they look at your esophagus with a like a tube and then they take snapshots of the inner lining of your esophagus and what they found was that mine was inflamed it had like rings where it's supposed to be like smooth you know like you know smooth looking and and be able to move mine was stiff and inflamed and, and and had all these white blood cells in there that aren't supposed to be there the white blood cells being 
they're called eosinophils, and that's where like the name okay. comes from. It's eosinophilic esophagitis. Yeah. How was that during then, obviously? Um, finding out obviously what was causing all these issues and then kind of getting diagnosed like obviously changing your diet I mean that must have been like massive obviously trying to adapt and change your diet from where it was before yeah I mean so with EOE a lot of the triggers I guess fortunately a lot of the triggers are are food based where like you could I find the foods that are causing this and hypothetically when you stop eating them um, you know you don't get the symptoms anymore you know they'll they'll start to go away um, but the challenge there is finding which foods are causing that. And so what you do typically is do an elimination diet where you'll either eliminate two foods or four foods or six foods, kind of the main like allergens, you know, wheat, yeah. uh, you know, nuts and eggs, et cetera. So I eliminated, so initially I, I took this proton pump inhibitor. I, I was just on medication to, to, to heal it. And that's kind of the step one. And that actually worked. I, I, my numbers went down to zero, but my symptoms were still there. A lot of them, um, like uh, which was weird for me. I was getting bloating. I was getting the the, the throat issues. I was um, actually getting things like anxiety attacks and panic attacks. And even when I was on that medication, I was like, something's not right. I don't. I, yeah, sure, my numbers are zero. Yeah. And that's great, but I don't feel great. Um, and so from there, I went on the food elimination diet without the medication and um, cut out gluten and dairy. And those symptoms started to go away. Um, and so that's why ever since I've just been like, all right, I'm not going to eat those two things because, uh, I don't want those symptoms again. Cause the, they, they really sucked. No, no. Cause I remember I kind of watched a recent video and you were saying, obviously before you cut it out, you was having these like panic attacks and kind of mm-hmm. like these like anxiety. Can we talk a bit about that on the podcast? And when was that kind of first kind of like sign of that for you where you was like, I, what the hell is happening to me? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's. I just talked about it recently yeah, on my TikTok because I I realized it wasn't one of the issues that really, you know, is has made me so committed to sticking with gluten and dairy free um, is because I was getting these like, again, I don't know if it was a panic attack or an anxiety attack, but just a feeling of like wanting to run and feeling like not a part of this world. It was like it would just come on randomly um, again in like yeah. wor- in the worst situations, like when I was at work or home alone or driving, um, you know, it it happened a few times and I'd never felt something like that before in my life. Um, and it felt super scary and yeah, it's, it's something that I totally like, um, I guess emphasize, empathize with, with people who go through that, you know, more than I guess just the four to eight months that I was getting them randomly. But like, yeah, it's, it just goes to show that, I mean, a lot of times like these things that are mental health could, could be related to physical health. Um, and, and, may, and maybe vice versa. Like for me, when I stopped eating gluten and dairy and, and stuck to that and, um, my EOE symptoms would go away. Those panic and anxiety attacks also went away. I think a lot of it probably was because of the scare, like the scariness of feeling like I'm going to choke on food and feeling I'm feeling like I'm allergic to everything. It was like this new thing yeah, and definitely you when, don't know what's happening yeah definitely when you yeah. don't know what's happening like and I've, I've had like some of the symptoms like for me like it's like when i eat in a restaurant and i have this feeling like is it allergic reaction or is it a panic attack and like yeah that i feel i know like, yeah trying to work it out yeah, yeah yeah it's it's super scary and obviously the first few times you get panic attacks or whatever it's it's so unknown you're like what is happening to me am i what is am i dying like what's going on am i like and you think you're having a heart attack. Like there's a lot of things going on in your brain at that moment. So, yeah. um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough. And, and those are really scary. And, um, I don't think, I, I mean, it's not necessarily talked about a ton with, uh, relation to things like celiac or eosinophilic esophagitis and like being gluten-free. But when I posted that video, a lot of the comments were, um, yeah, I got these too, or I still get the, you know, it's, so it's, it's somewhat reassuring to know that I'm not alone with it. Um, uh, but you know, it's still something that obviously you're afraid of coming back and you don't want it to happen again. Yeah. Was there anyone you like, you could turn to during that time where you was having these like panic and anxiety attacks? Did you have any friends which have kind of gone through this kind of same feeling? Cause I think within like the allergy space, like I talk a lot about anxiety, but there's actually not that much resource out there really to kind of like turn to. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think that was a big thing. Um, I, didn't feel like myself. And I think I shut off a lot of my like friendships and even like work relationships. I just like 
wasn't myself probably for like eight months. I said no to every plan pretty much. I, um, yeah, I, I really only talked to my parents about this. My mom was great. She was the one I called every time that I had these panic attacks and I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like I, 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 I did the over. same as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you just want to call your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. So mom was the, you know, the goat during that. And, you know, she, she came up clutch, you know, but talking me off, you know, the, the, the ledge a little bit with, you know, how much I was freaking out on the side of a highway after I had a panic attack or something, you know, not know, not knowing what's going on. So she is great. And she's like such a caring person and, 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 and calming person. But I think my friends probably would have helped me out, but I, I, I just didn't even want to I, f- I think I felt embarrassed about my symptoms for the longest time and like wanted to figure it out before I like I I was, you know, hanging out with them again so I could not get a panic attack in front of them or something like that. So I didn't actually reach out to anyone, probably except for my parents and maybe my family a little bit at the looking time. Back, looking, looking back, do you feel you would do things differently now? Do you think you would actually reach out to, to the guys and buy it? Look, I'm experiencing this. It could happen. Or do you think? Yeah, uh, probably. I mean, I, I just think it was so tough because I felt I had like such a why me mentality with the eosinophilic esophagitis. Like, oh my, like 0.002% of people have this and I have it. Like, what are the odds? You know, like I had that kind of feeling. And then I also had a feeling of like, I want to like defeat, I want to beat this. I want to figure out how to not feel this way. Um, and it took such a long time. Um, and, and my friends knew I had it and they knew I had like GERD and stuff, but, um, I don't know if they knew how serious the symptoms were, uh, at least for me specifically in the, in, in that moment, because, you know, I mean, I would make jokes about it too. They would make jokes and it was yeah. kind of like, oh, he's got the GERD, you know, like that kind of thing. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. it, that, it yeah. brings you down to earth, but it also like, I don't want to, um, I guess I probably didn't want to spill my guts to any of them at the time. Um, and I don't know if they would have, I, I don't know if they would be super helpful in this, uh, you know, if I was to live it again, but it's not like they would make fun of me necessarily. It would be all in good humor, but yeah, it's just something that I think as maybe men, it's like, you don't really talk about this stuff with each other enough. Um, and you might every once in a while, but it's not like you do it as much as you would your mom yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, no i yeah i get that i i think i think i've been like more open like recently i think just because like when i like eat out and we go out for like food and stuff like i'm always like panicking it like i'm having an allergic reaction so i'm always like there's Mm -hmm. no rash on my neck and i'm literally like all my t-shirts are like crop tops because i'm always like pulling down the neckline but i'm having an allergic reaction not have an allergic reaction um how how's it then been obviously kind of obviously eating out in boston are they are there what restaurants quite understanding obviously in regards when you mentioned you've got gluten allergy. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm very fortunate that I live in Boston um, because I have, you know, at least a dozen restaurants that I can think of that I can just go to. I don't know if people have that necessarily safe environment wherever they might live um, where it has like a dedicated fryer or like great cross contact protocols. Like, yeah, you can always take a risk, you know, going to a restaurant that doesn't have those and, and, I do, you know, I, 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 I trust the, you know, a lot of times around here, at least like I trust that they will take it seriously. But even if you're like, so, um, worried about that, there are restaurants that are so good with that. And you can go to those handful of restaurants around here in Boston. Um, so I feel like really fortunate to be from Boston and just, I feel like they're good with food allergies and rarely do I feel like, um, I'm going to get something that's like unsafe. Uh, but I, it doesn't change that it still is awkward eating out. And I'm sure you can relate to this. It's yeah. like the whole, it's like the social anxiety of eating out and having to bring that up to a waiter as you're at a table with like six people and talk to yeah. the waiter for, you know, two minutes, which is a, feels I've like seen, an eternity. Uh, I've seen so, a lot of your skits actually <laughs> like addressing it. And um, it's definitely like relatable when you kind of like bring it up or they don't like quite get it or, mm-hmm. um, do you, do you feel embarrassed speaking up about it now? Or are you just like, look, this is what it is. Like they're either going to take it seriously. or I'm, I'm just not going to eat at that restaurant or establishment. I, so I, I think I, when I, when I'm nervous about a place that I don't know if it's going to be, have a ton of options. I'll like just get a grilled chicken on a salad. Um, and that's like my go-to. Sometimes they'll plop some croutons on there, which is frustrating because I'm like, no, so close, no, but not, it, yeah. not quite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, 
I don't feel like at this point, I feel like I have such a safety net and like my identity is related to being gluten-free now to the internet and to my friend group and everything. Whenever they see a gluten-free product, they'll like send me a picture. If it just says the word gluten, they'll send it to me. So I'm not like, I'm so open about it now, but I think initially, uh, yeah. And, and when you're going out with new people, um, there is that sort of like, ugh, like this is going to change the conversation at the table for a little bit. And then like, this is like, I wish I didn't have to go through this, but at the same time, you know, it is what it is. And everyone goes through what they yeah. go through and we all have our own things. So this is ours. I, you know, we just got to deal with it. I was going to say, did you, when, when you met your girlfriend then, did, did you actually mention it on the first day or did you kind of like leave it a bit? Like, cause with <laughs> I, me, like I've literally got to mention it. Otherwise if they like said the date's going well, I've got a girlfriend of two years, but if the date's going well and they're going for a kiss and they're beating like, I'm allergic to nuts. Like that could yeah. kill me. Um, yeah. 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 Like, did you bring it up on the first day? So for, I have an allergy like that's, I, I don't know if it is anaphylactic quite yet, but I'm like allergic in that way to shellfish. Um, but with gluten and dairy, uh, with EOE, it's not like that kind of allergy. It's an allergy that I didn't even know from the outside, you know, that I had these, I was allergic to these things. It's like a different, I can't think of what it's called, but it's a different kind of allergy where like, it's like an internal thing that like, your body is attacking itself. I, I, I can't even, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing it justice of explaining it, but it's different. Um, and when I eat those things, I would just kind of start to get my EOE symptoms that I was just talking about, you know, those GI, you know, the, the, the swallowing issues. And that would come back if I eat that versus like me having kind of like a swollen face or something. Um, yeah. or, or, you know, whatever, you know, it might be or anaphylactic response. Uh, but yeah, so it, from, from that respect, like to answer your question, um, Luckily, Serena, my now girlfriend, was was the first like date that I went on after you know going through that because I was living with my I moved I was, I was living with my parents when I was going through like the EOE and trying to figure out what were my triggers and then once I sort of figured it out I moved out with some buddies and then uh, kind of was going back into like real world stuff that I was a hermit for like a year um, and so I I went on a date with my now girlfriend, which is, I guess, a spoiler alert. But yeah, we we, we went to a, a restaurant um, before we were going to a concert. And I went there before her so I could order. They had a gluten-free beer on, on it there. Right. And I just ordered it, like, got it. And I remember, like, it was in a glass. And I was like, oh, nice. Like, she's not going to know. Yeah, um, and so she actually asked me, like, oh, which beer did you get? I'll get the same one. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It could no, be, no, uh, no, it could no. be any of them. <laughs> yeah. no, like shit, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't like it. I don't even bother. Um, and so fast forward, we had a, uh, we, we go to the concert and I, and I was getting like white claws and stuff like that, you know, like, uh, you know, seltzers. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and so while, yeah. like that, even then, like three, four years ago, they weren't like people would make fun of you for getting a white claw. Uh, sometimes like it was still, like it was just starting to become popular, like, like yeah, seltzers. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a little bit of like a, I remember being like, Oh, is she going to like, like, like if, if is she going to judge me for not drinking beer and drinking wine? I don't know. You know, I was having all these weird anxieties about it. Cause again, it was all new to me. And then we went out to a restaurant after the, con- the, the, the concert in my EpiPen that I have for my shellfish allergy fell out of my pocket when I sat down and she was like, What's that? And uh, and so that's one, at one that way point, to conversation. <laughs> yeah, at that point, I was like, okay, you know, I I'm just gonna explain it all to her. You know, leave my cards on the table. And she was from there. She's been super like understanding and been like my biggest advocate. And we'll go to restaurants and she'll sometimes be like, we can't have gluten, we can't have dairy because she shares food with me, so it needs to be like the same. Um, yeah. so she'll like she'll make food. You know, she used to make breads for me like like a zucchini gluten-free zucchini bread and stuff like that when we were first started dating um it made me feel really comfortable and not like judged and so i know that not everyone has that experience and it's really fortunate uh that i was one for one in dating but uh yeah i think i always try to give the advice of like if 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 you're you know serious about someone and and they're serious about you like i don't think that this then an allergy should be the reason that you're not together and that they should judge you for any reason like they they should be the one to you know pull you up um, and, and really understand Absolutely, this. Yeah. Um, so I've always, yeah, yeah I've always that was my little like, story about the f- date. <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah. And I, I always think if like someone, someone's not going to take your allergy like seriously, then just like, maybe they're not quite right. I don't know. Cause I get a lot of yeah. 
messages the other day like oh like this my partner or someone I'm dating is not taking it serious and I'm a bit like and and yeah, and I get it you know some people like, yeah, want to just yeah. some people just want to like casually date you know some people aren't always looking for someone to you know be long term with that they you know so I I think that even creates like a more diff- like if I was gluten free in yeah. college and having these allergies it might have changed how I view it um, but for my perspective, like luckily I was in a position where I was ready to, you know, settle down with a girlfriend or something. Yeah. So it was really fortunate for me. How, how old are you now, Phil? I'm 29, which is, which is, yeah. uh, I'm going to turn 30 in a few months, which is so weird because it feels like I have a life like pre allergy and post allergy. And like, I, I think yeah. of when I was 24, I was diagnosed and I feels like it was just yesterday, but it's been so long. It's been almost five years now, which is pretty, uh, or five years. Yeah. Yeah. I so know, it's been I, a while. I, I'd say, I, I turned 30 like last December, uh, December just yeah. I thought, I was like, oh my God, I'm turning 30. Like I need my shit together. And like, <laughs> do, you feel that, yeah. do, do you feel that pressure? Or are, you, are you looking forward to it? No, I, honestly, I feel like I've always felt a little bit older than I, than I, I feel like I'm actually like, I feel my age, you know, when yeah, I was yeah. 22 and going to clubs and stuff, I don't think I necessarily, I think I was kind of convincing myself that I was enjoying it. And, and now like I'll, you know, go to a restaurant with my buddies and half the time of my life, just like six of us, you know, like that's like my ideal. So I feel like when you get older, at least me and my friends, we've kind of chilled out a little bit and yeah, yeah. I feel like it, 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 my age certainly, but it's, it still is weird to say that I'm 30. It's weird. Um, but when I look at 21 year olds, I'm like, okay, I'm certainly not 21. So yeah. it makes sense that I'm 30. <laughs> yeah. One of my friends from, um, from Manchester, like came up like this weekend, just gone and we went out to like, it's like a bar slash like club on the Saturday and like, I get a panic attack if there's like not enough space and like everyone's like <laughs> squeezing next to me. I'm like, I'm not enjoying this. Like, I just like <laughs> give me like, and like people I like, bump into and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm over this now. Like, but yeah. maybe like a few years ago, I would have been I would have been all for that kind of thing. Can we talk about the issue with gluten free bread? I know you address it a lot on your TikTok. I didn't know it was a big big thing until yeah. uh, I speak to people within the kind of gluten free community. Yeah, no, it, it's that was like. So I think like the benefit of having this, uh, you know, Instagram presence and, and, and TikTok presence is that like I've been able to meet people who are gluten free throughout this experience. Where I again, I, I I had my friends and my family, but when I was first diagnosed, but none, really, no one in my personal life that I talked to regularly was gluten free and could understand things that I was learning now as I had to be gluten free. And so one of the first things I kind of noticed is that. The beer is uh, sorry. The the bread is just minuscule. The bread is tiny. It's like it's comically tiny. small. The 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 common breads, at least in the U.S., they're like literally this big. Um, and oh, I'd wow. be making a sandwich with with like yeah. my cold cuts, and it would be flapping yeah. over the bread. I would like it was just ridiculous. And so yeah. I made a video that I had like a sign. I you know I don't know if you remember that meme like dude with sign. He oh, used yeah. to yeah the sign yeah and everyone changed the copy on it yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I made one of me kind of with the glasses like him. I wonder if I have no, I don't have yeah. them over here. But uh and I had make gluten free bread bigger. And then that kind of uh was like one of my first videos to go viral. And so obviously resonated oh, wow. with other people. It wasn't just me who was crazy thinking yeah, like, yeah. what is the deal with this tiny bread? Um and so from there, that actually was like a blessing in disguise because it led to um what I now do, what helps me do this full time, which is like sell merch with the words, make gluten free bread bigger on it. So it's incredible. And obviously I love to kind of hear about kind of like your journey. So when you started your page, was it, was it like gluten, you was kind of reviewing gluten free bread. Is that how your kind of journey yeah. started <laughs> off with setting up your page? Yeah, I will say you, you, you've done some research, which I absolutely respect. I feel like most All people right. don't necessarily know like these things, which All is, right. uh, yeah, you're, you're a good interviewer. So I, that, kudos. Um, I feel like yeah. I'm doing you a disservice otherwise, because I feel like if I have a guest on and I know nothing about them, I feel like I'm wasting their time, but I, I'll yeah. probably delve in. And I think cause like generally like what you're doing in, within the gluten-free space is like so interesting and having your kind of humor to it and kind of like breaking down the barriers from a t- typical gluten blogger, because I think a lot of them, I look at their content and I find it quite boring. Or maybe it's not, <laughs> I'm not necessarily their target audience, but I'm watching yeah. your content and I don't have a gluten allergy. I'm like, oh, this guy's, this guy's funny. Like, Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I started the account to, because I, I think like you said, like I, I saw a lot of the gluten-free accounts at the time. I didn't know who to follow at that time. I just kind of typed in gluten-free and was trying to figure out things. And uh, a lot of them was just like delicious recipes or like 
kind of sad stuff. Like just like, oh, this no, just got gluten. You know, like this this sucks. Like you know, life sucks. And I was like, okay, well, looking at that stuff, like especially the the, the latter one of like the, uh, you know, life sucks. Especially the EOE stuff that I was seeing online was like that too. It was like, okay, I haven't swallowed something whole in like months. So I can only eat you know smoothies. And I was, I've related to that a little bit in the past, but like, yeah. I was like, I need to bring some positivity in some way, uh, you know, to my life. Uh, and yeah. I've always liked making videos. Um, and so, like I said, my brother kind of put me on making videos when I was young and we would make wraps and, and, you know, did all this oh, like really? creative stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was working a sales job for like three years, four years. And, um, I, I kind of got away from a lot of that creative stuff. And so I was like, okay, well, this is a cool opportunity I, there, there isn't a lot of gluten-free beer out there. Um, or at least I don't know any, um, let me t- make an account about like finding and rating these gluten-free beers. And in turn, I'll also, you know, talk about being gluten-free and, you know, in those videos kind of weave in EOE and stuff like that. And, and it kind of gradually do that. But yeah, it started off with like five minute long Instagram videos that were horizontal, I don't know if you remember like four years ago, that was like a, a absolute, you know, think, yeah, yeah. anomaly. No one was doing horizontal, like no one's trying yeah, to look yeah. at that tiny little screen for seven minutes. Um, so I don't know what I was doing. Luckily, TikTok came out in vertical videos. Yeah. But yeah, I was making just beer reviews for the longest time. Um, and I, I didn't love doing that because I would have to like drink a random beer on like a Tuesday. I'm like, I don't even move for a beer right now. I don't feel like doing this review yeah. uh, and no one's watching it. And so once TikTok came out, I started making videos on TikTok that were more like skits and like relatable things that I was going yeah. through, like the bread and and um, things like that. And uh, that's kind of transformed into what I do now, just trying to bring humor. And really what I'd say is like entertainment. Um, I Like I don't think I'm that funny. I think I'm funny probably for like a gluten-free content creator, but I like I don't think I'm the funniest guy in the world. Like I think my friends are funnier than I am. <laughs> So I, I, I just try to be entertaining. Yeah, I watched one the other day where you was like, oh, the best thing about being <laughs> being gluten or being gluten. And then you're just like, at the end, you just like, you just pause it and pause it. Um, I'm not, I'm not really selling <laughs> this skit, but it, it was good. Um, with, with whole, so you, obviously you set up the page. Was, were you still in that software engineer? Was you still working yeah. with a software company at the time? Yeah, I, I feel mean, like you're like Nardwar. Yeah. You 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 know everything about your. Uh, that was yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah. I I I worked a software sales job. Um, and uh, yeah, I I did that for up until you know I, I I was working software sales, different jobs, but I I worked up until last yeah last year. So I so I was doing the Phil hates gluten with that for like two two and a half years, I think. Um. My page yeah. didn't really get any traction initially. I was gonna at ask, all. like, yeah, like, how, how many how many followers did you have after two years of like putting these like skits out and doing the like <laughs> reviews on your Instagram? Uh, I actually have like a journal. I, I tr- after I heard about the Matthew McConaughey book Green Lights and how he journaled like all the time, I was like, I gotta start journaling. Like that's really cool. That, yeah. And I did it for like a week. Uh, I didn't because yeah. it was during COVID and my life was just so boring. Yeah. I was like, okay, I woke up and I, I worked at my from yeah. home again. Um, but I wrote in one of them that I had like, I think at the time, um, it was like 2021, I think I had like 15,000 followers on Instagram and like maybe 20 on TikTok, um, which is a a good amount. Um, but it's, yeah, it it took a while for me to get there and it wasn't until I made that pivot and like Instagram, TikTok started doing reels and videos that like I was starting to get any followers because they were pushing reels so hard that luckily I was making videos. Um, but for the, for, for a while, I probably had like two, 3000 probably for the first year or so. Um, maybe even less. I don't even remember. I, I wish there was a way to look at it, but yeah. reels really helped me grow. Yeah. When, when was that turning point where you kind of really saw the kind of like the followers and everything else kind of grow? Was that when you, you mentioned kind of like TikTok? Was that when things changed for you? Was it, was there like a point in your journey where I was like, shit, like this is really growing now, like? Yeah. So I remember, um, like, like when I started making my account, I was getting uh, brands reaching out, wanting to like, well, I guess probably after a couple of years, I had brands reach out and say like, we want to send you some stuff. And I would like, like, they would just send it to me for free and I would make a whole rap music video about it. I make a whole original rap music video. And they're like, they probably were like, we didn't, 
want or expect this. And like, I used to just make him and put on my page because it was like a creative outlet, I guess. But it was like a, such a free advertisement for them too. Um, but yeah, so that was what I was doing for a while. And eventually I was like, okay, let me see if I can start like charging a hundred bucks or something. And so I gradually started doing that. Um, and I, once I started making like a certain amount on like a video, which it was like, I, there was this one company that I told them my rate and they were like, Oh, actually we want to, we feel more comfortable paying you this. And it was like three times what I was charging. Um, and wow. that was so cool that they were so transparent, um, and said like, we think you, your audience is worth this in, in, in the video you'll make for us. And that worked because I worked my ass off for that video. I think it was a really cool video, um, ad. And, uh, after that happened, I was like, okay. And I started like just charging more and more and gradually. And, and, and once I saw that happening and I could like make money, it wasn't a, a salary by any means, but I could make some money on the side. That was really eye opening. Um, and once I did my first merch drop, um, it kind of coincided with that sort of timing and I sold the first merch drop. I, I, I probably sold like 200 or 300 shirts or something like that. It was like a good amount, um, yeah. way more than I thought it would. And, uh, they were kind of just regular t-shirts like, you know, with make gluten free red bigger what, on what, them. They're really, really simple. What, what is that? Can we reveal how much for the first merch drop? Or, I think I mean, the first merch drop. In, yeah. Yeah. Well, in profit, because I did it differently. In profit, it made like a couple yeah. grand. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Which I guess it's pretty great. Um, but yeah, yeah. And so when that happened, I was like, so this is easier for me to do. Not easier, but like that is is better in terms of like, I should put more effort into that versus doing like, you know, seven ads to make that money or whatever it was at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was eye-opening too. Um, and... Yeah. So once I started realizing I could make money off of it and not like at the expense of my audience, you know, it was, it was like doing, promoting brands that I was actually eating anyway and making really like, I take pride in my ads. I like really go all out with them. Yeah. I don't just make like a, Oh, I tried this. Like I really like edit the crap out of them and, and spend a lot of time thinking about them um, because I want them to be entertaining for the audience. And again, I want to, I want to show them what they can eat and it's Your things problem, that I yeah, eat. Yeah. So there's that. And then also the merch, it's not like I'm just shilling merch. It's like a community, you know, I'm wearing a hat, eat the wheat. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like you can rep being gluten-free in more of a subtle way versus like the merch that was out there. It's like, it yeah, just yeah. says like, I'm gluten-free, like on your whole body. Like mine's more yeah, like yeah. subtle. Um, and I think people resonate with that. And I use like really, really high quality, um, uh, like sweatshirts and, and, and t-shirts. So I, I feel like really great about that. And I also donate 10% of every merch drop um, since the very first one I did um, to celiac disease foundation and eosinophilic uh, cured foundation for EOE. Um, but yeah, just like kind of seeing the business part of it and seeing how it could be a possibility. I started to think like, okay, should I pursue this? Like, is this like, yeah, why not absolutely. me? Like, why can't I, I do this? For anyone like, I've like doubled on it from like time to time, but like when you had this initial idea to kind of do your own merch with like the slogans, what was that kind of starting point? Did you like go on YouTube? Like where did you find the supplies? Was it like, was it oh. quite, was it quite a difficult, like a difficult journey trying to get from like A to B and how, how was that for you? Yeah, I, I it was really like, I initially, my girlfriend told me to like, do it a certain way. She was like, you should do like, cause she actually, she had just done like a, a tie dye business, like over during COVID she was tie dyeing shirts and, and upcycling shirts and selling them to yeah, um, cool. our friends and stuff. And, and it did very well. So she kind of had an idea of how to do it. And she was like, you should get shirts and, and, and um, you know, get them, get the stuff printed on it. And then you can, um, you know, pack and ship it and, and, and do all that. But I was so intimidated by that idea that I was like, okay, there's this, company that I used to make all my jerseys growing up, like my sports jerseys. Um, I was like, how much of a cool, like full circle moment would it be if I just worked with them and they kind of, they were full service. They would just, I would send them the design and they would make it and, yeah, yeah. and do everything. Um, so they did that and that was fine. Um, but I felt like I didn't have control. Like there was some mix ups and stuff that I, I wasn't getting the emails, you know, I was kind of out of the loop and, um, you know, uh, I obviously like 
how to pay for this them them packing it and and them hosting the site and stuff and so um although i sold something like 200 something shirts like i didn't like i i could have made more money if i did it myself put it that way and it yeah, wouldn't have been that right. much harder um and so the next time i sort of did that I, well i did that i i found a new supplier who makes it and they they, they would just send them to me uh, actually i would go pick it up i would pick up like eight nine boxes of just merch that i hoped people would buy um yeah. and i did merch drops because i only had a limited amount and I made a site on Shopify. I learned how to do that. And I made like hype videos to try to make these seem like, you know, cool. And, you know, like yeah. I, I feel like marketing is really at the end of the day what I love doing. Uh, I And I couldn't get a marketing job out of college. So this is like my validation that, oh, hey, I could be Amazing. a marketer. I could yeah. like market these t-shirts yeah. and stuff. Um, and so it's, that's like the funnest thing is making the hype videos for me um, and and taking pictures and, and modeling with Serena, yeah. my girlfriend. Um, and so then I just started packing and shipping them myself. And did you put did you that, put like any ad spend behind it, or was it all organic? Like when you like obviously you had the audience anyway. But I was just wondering, no, like, whether it was like oh yeah. I've never ever spent. I mean, I I've probably in the very beginning pushed like some pictures when I was first starting out, but I really haven't yeah. ever done anything like that with ad spend um, and pushed anything. It's all been organic um, with everything, yeah. getting followers and everything like that, because. I think it's because what happened on my first TikTok account, I had a video go viral that I got a bunch of bots follow me from. Um, and I had like 12,000 followers overnight where I had like a thousand before. And that tanked all my future videos. And so I had to make a whole new TikTok because I had the wrong oh, wow. you know situation happen. And so yeah. like that scared me away from like paid ads anyway yeah, from yeah, yeah. moving forward. And so... Yeah, no, it was all organic and and I think it was just exciting for people because it was again more like discreet, um, kind of hip looking merch versus what was out there was a I don't I don't think anyone really like put that much thought into making it like a clothing line versus just like merch. Like I think of it like a yeah. clothing line, um, versus it how, being how, like how many slapped on. How many drops have you done now then? Have you done a few? Eight. I think it's my eighth. Uh, yeah. if, oh, wow. if you combine them and, and, and now I do it in a pre-order, which is great because I spent that at the beginning of 2021, just in a crazy amount of money on this merch. And I did not sell as much as I thought because I bought like a bunch, you know, a certain amount of mediums. I bought a certain amount of larges and XLs, double XLs. And uh, most people wear like certain sizes. And so I oh, okay. was stuck with the, you know, some sizes or like, I bought all equal amounts in the same kind of, um, uh, you know, equal amounts of, of, of different styles. So one style might be more popular and I might sell out in two seconds, but then the other one, no one really wants that much. So I was stuck with some uh, stuff. Um, yeah. and so now I do pre-orders, which, which is a whole different thing, but, um, what's a, it's what's better because. So, so they can order the sizes up front yeah. essentially. Yes. Yeah. Cause it, I, 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 it was cool to like do a drop and it would sell yeah. out in like an hour. Um, yeah, but and that was really, really exciting. Yeah. But, uh, at the same time, that meant people weren't getting what they wanted because they didn't, they didn't catch it in time. Um, you know, so that now with the pre-order, I open it for like four or five days. Um, and then you can order whatever you want. And the only reason I only do four or five days is because then we have to like order the merch, make the merch, ship the merch, you know, do all the thank you notes. And so yeah. it makes the ETA a little bit longer, but at least everyone gets what they want with pre-order. Yeah. When, but yeah, it's been that, a lot of learning. That, yeah, that's insane. Honestly, it's incredible. Obviously, like now you're doing that. When when was that transition from doing it kind of full time? Then did you say when you did your first drop? Is that when you quit your job? No, I uh, no. I my I think my third one was when I quit. Um, I it was last year, last um, uh, January was was when I went full time. So I've been full time for a year oh, and a okay. half now. But yeah, I mean, I was working from home, so I, I could do it during, you know, I could do stuff after hours and and all that. Um, but I I really quit my job and, and did this full time before I really should have. I, I wasn't making enough money to just to to rationalize it. <laughs> like I in my yeah. in my <laughs> head, I was, like, was like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. In in my in my head, I was like, okay, well, I can I have a merch drop coming up. Hopefully, that can like pay for a couple months of like bills. And I, hopefully I'll have some ad deals. I just cross my fingers. And if I, if this lasts three months of me doing this full time, 
that's a win. Um, and yeah. I'll find hopefully another sales job or maybe get into marketing because I want to do that. Um, and it's just been kind of like, it's like not like I'm balling, but I'm, I'm luckily like taking things not month to month. It's more like every couple months. I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll have to get a job. You know, like I, it's doing okay now, but it's not. Um, hopefully it, I'll, I'll, I'll get in a position where I feel more, le- less anxiety about it all. Um, but yeah, it's, I- it's, it's been fun. No, it's amazing. Obviously, like you've obviously made that transition, and like you said, like it must be great. Obviously, knowing now knowing that you can actually like double down on the amount of content. I mean, what? How much content yeah. do you put out now? Is it one? Is it one a day? Or is it a few day on TikTok? Like what? What? Does yeah, your and, schedule look like? and for a while, I was doing two, at least two videos a day on TikTok. For like, I, I, I think last year, like I just really wanted to do not quantity over quality, but quantity like definitely just hit them with the quantity because I feel like that um, on TikTok it, as well like. it was working you know in terms of TikTok and Instagram with reels was really pushing reels so I yeah. really just like was trying to make as much I, as I could um and I learned a lot of lessons throughout that it's like for me what was really frustrating to know is like the more I tried on videos the less good they did like the videos of me just talking to my phone with like no no good audio would do way better than me like using my DSLR camera and trying to make a cool okay. video. Yeah, it was is, I is it, it was shocking, but it's frustrating, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's how it is. Um is it, which is made it, it more scalable, it, I think. Is that for TikTok or is that for Instagram? Or do you just find that on, on both platforms both. it's best when you use your smartphone and like you use your Apple microphone? I think it depends what your content is. And I think there's definitely yeah. uh uh, accounts that have really high quality, but for what I'm doing, and I think my whole like mm. persona online and in real life, it's like a really imperfect. You know, like I am not trying to be perfect. I don't have all the answers. I'm learning mm. every day. So having a super nice quality camera and like doing really cool high edit edit of foods and stuff, I don't think it even makes sense. And yeah. you wouldn't even relate that to me because I am very much like not that person. Um, you know, I get, so I, I, I think maybe if I'm really thinking deep into that, that's probably a lie, but also I was putting out so many videos that using the camera phone camera was so much easier to do so much. So like if I was to do like three phone camera videos and then one super high quality video, it would look weird. It wouldn't like fit the, you know, aesthetic again. Like it would be kind of shocking to people, I think. Um, so yeah, again, I, I was just putting out as many videos as possible. And now I'm in this spot where I feel like I've made every video I could possibly make. And every day I just try to think of something new. <laughs> so I don't know what the future, you know, entails. Yeah, I, I, I really picked up on that. And it's funny you said that, even like just going on your TikTok just before this podcast, um, again, just to see this type of content. And it, I think it makes you feel like more relatable when it isn't too high polished. And I think like yeah. there's definitely a place for high polished po- like content. So like, for, for example, this podcast would probably look better if it was like shot on a nice camera and then use them snippets. But you, I think when you've got the content where you're like talking to the camera, like I say, I completely agree with us. Like when it's on your iPhone, it's got this kind of like, you feel, you feel, I think you feel like, uh, when I look at your content, you feel more relatable in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that's the same. You know, it's, if you were to see, uh, anyone, you know, using a front cam and like imperfect, I think it's Mr. Beast on, on, on YouTube. He has such high quality, like he spends millions on his videos, but he refuses to film them in 4K. He only does 1080p oh, really? because it feels yeah, more like YouTube and it feels less high yeah. quality and it's more relatable in that way. Um, so that was interesting to hear and that kind of resonated with me too. But again, I'm someone who I want to challenge myself and try some like high quality stuff, but I'm trying to do that a little bit. I use my camera for YouTube. I use my nice camera for YouTube, but um, yeah. For Instagram and TikTok, I use my phone. What, what's what's the kind of net sets for yourself then over the next, like, say, like, couple of years? Like, obviously, you kind of want to keep building on kind of, like, your merchandise. Have you got any kind of goals set in mind of, of where you want to take it? Yeah, I mean, it is it is intimidating sometimes to, like, look at other full-time content creators and they have, like, 11 streams of income and they're doing, you know, 20 things at once. And yeah. I'm, like, I get really stressed thinking about that. And I do think about affiliates gluten in this whole account, like, 24 seven, like way too much. And I'm always on my phone. So it's like, I, I feel like what I'm doing is good in terms of like, I can focus on the merch, I can focus on the content, but at the same time, I do feel like there's a next step that needs to be taken in terms of, 
I feel like I have a couple of routes I can go. I can really commit to like making a big bread or something like that and like spend my life trying to figure out the formula and marketing that and, and documenting every step of the way or something like that. And I think that would resonate with people. Or do I lean more into the content creator thing and make, you know, commit to like just making videos all the time and, and making a YouTube and making a YouTube show. Uh, and I'm kind of in this divide of, I don't know which way I want yeah, to go like, right where's now. Part of my energy? Like, I feel like everyone, keeps saying, like, e- like, everyone keeps saying like YouTube, like if you can like YouTube is where the, like the big, the big money is at and like YouTube yeah. now really pushing shots. And I think now the same with like shots. Now you can make money through that. Yeah. As well. and it's like another yeah. venue. And like, it's crazy because like you want to do so much and I'm, I'm exactly the same where it's constantly on my mind 24 24 mm-hmm. 7 and it can do you find it quite hard to switch off then do you find because i feel like my girlfriend has a go at me all the time she's like that's all you talk about is like making saying all like, yeah. the podcasts like yeah no it's i'm sure my girlfriend feels the same way it's it's all i think about and t- I, I i think it's tough because in our roles right now, as like a content creator, you're almost like, it sounds pretentious to say this, but you're like a new age, like entrepreneur. Like you're building a, a thing that you want people to watch or listen to. And um, you feel confident about it. You feel like the message is great and it'll resonate and help people. So there's like passion behind it too. It's not like you're just selling like random sneakers or something. You're sell- yeah, selling yeah. a message that will help people. Um, and so there, there's actually like a pressure of that too. And you feel precious about it, but yeah, it, it's it's always on my mind. I I literally will we'll go on walks with our dog and we'll be like, I'll just speak up like, I like I I can't think of anything. So like probably every two days I'm like I can't think of any video ideas to run. Like I'm running out of ideas. I can't like, and it'll eventually like come to me. But I complain to her all the time yeah. uh, about like how I can't think of things or, um, I'll talk about how much you know how excited I am to you know post a new video or whatever the merch. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, Soretta's heard it all. I've definitely, you know, vent to her and tell her everything. Yeah. But yeah, it's like 90% of what I talk about is gluten-free stuff, which is a, another like thing. And you might feel this too. Um, it is obviously such a big part of my identity publicly um, in terms of like social media. But like when I think of myself, it's not like I think I'm like a, I don't think of gluten-free as the first thing I think of. You know, I think of yeah, yeah. like... I love basketball. I love listening yeah, yeah. to music. I love all these things. And um, it is interesting to feel that way. And like everything that I have to think about from a content perspective is always gluten-free. Um, how do I weave that into a certain idea that I have to make a new idea that no one's ever thought of in the gluten-free space? But like yeah. I do, it's almost like a desire to talk about basketball or something like that, but no one wants to hear me yeah. talk about basketball. So it's like this weird thing that you have to think about all the time but it might not be a hundred percent of your own identity it's it's a little bit of a maybe i'm having yeah. a crisis um but I, 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 yeah I saw, it's i come across sorry. like your 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 other page it might have been off someone else's podcast but you do like is it is it fashion for like yeah yeah <laughs> i was gonna say yeah. for small people but i think you've definitely <laughs> said that i'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not coming out and being like um small, but um just height shame yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, no. Yeah. I. Yeah. Th- that. That was something that I. I was. I was like, I want to do something that's not about being gluten free all the time. So let's yeah, just yeah. commit to another like content creator idea, I guess. But like, um, yeah, it's it's way easier. I just literally stand right here and I just like yeah, do yeah. like little like, and I show off yeah, my fits yeah. and it's really just uh, to show off style for short guys. Um, it's 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 interesting to do. It's like that. And being gluten-free, being short and being gluten-free is like two things that I probably felt really self-conscious about at a point in my life and still maybe yeah. do sometimes. And now it's the things that I talk about every single day is yeah. like, I'm yeah, a short good, dude and I'm gluten-free. No, I think I think it's amazing, obviously, because like, I think like you kind of show like vulnerabilities as well. And I think people definitely on TikTok kind of really resonate with that. Like they don't want someone who's like too highly polished or doesn't yeah i think tiktok is kind of showing them vulnerabilities and kind of being being open and honest about it in regards to them finding your ideas do you do you watch other kind of videos within the gluten space or do you just kind of like go off what's in what's in in the head of yours like i i think i don't watch as much as probably people think um there's definitely i mean my feed is mostly gluten-free recipes and, and and people so i definitely watch it but like my tiktok feed versus Instagram. My TikTok is just random like sports yeah. and comedy skits and and I think that that helps because 
that I, I, I really always try to think of a different idea in some way. And how do I make this, like, if I want to make a cooking video, how do I make it funny? Because I'm not just going to make a cooking video. It's not going to be as yeah, good yeah. as someone else's. I need to, like, bring my own flair to it. Um, so I don't know. I, th- I, I think it helps watching other content. And, and but, mm. yeah, I definitely do watch gluten-free stuff, too, because yeah. I want to know recipes I can make and stuff like that. Yeah, and no, I appreciate that. And I think, I think I can definitely take a page from your book. Like, not every piece of content has to be shot on like an SLR and like you said sometimes if it's shot on the phone and like I've never used the uh, microphone like the Apple microphone so like it'd be interesting to like like you say like experiment with that kind of content and kind of see how it kind of evolves it definitely and if you want to talk about that you know off air I guess and 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 talk about the you know the stuff that might bore people I don't know but but I excites me to talk about this stuff like the behind the scenes of it and maybe the psychology of why we like certain different you know, uh, aesthetics for certain different things. But yeah, I, it's, it's something that I found with the Phil got fits page too. I was doing my super high quality camera and a couple of the videos yeah. did really well, but I spent like 20 minutes editing, 20 hours editing them. And then now I just oh, wow. put my phone right here yeah. and I just, I mean, I have just as many views and stuff. So it's like, why am I going through all the trouble? Um, it's fun it's for like me to do. Where, but it's like finding out part where, where to put your energy as well. Like, yeah. I, mean, I really struggle like trying to fit it all in a day, like doing like the podcast. And I've, I've recently just got an editor, who, which is edit one when when the podcast. I don't know if this is going to be like a full-time thing, but I <laughs> wish I could pay an editor every week to edit every podcast. Yeah, cause definitely, man. Take yeah. The, the pressure off me. But I was watching a YouTube video the other day. Um, I don't know if I'm going to say his name right. It's like Ali Abdal. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. Does, yeah, he's like medical student but then he became a mm-hmm. like full-time like youtube creator and he was saying like obviously you you need your time is like precious and if you can like pay someone to like do something and i was like well if i put x amount of money aside each month and someone could take that time away from me and i could put more effort into like do more interviews or yep. preparing more for the for the podcast it's only going to make the podcast better so 100 percent, man yeah yeah yeah, I, I'm going through the same thought process with YouTube. I, I've like actually hired someone on Fiverr to edit my last video because if you can it open it? up. Was it good? Yeah, yeah, it was good. I, I'm still yeah. like a perfectionist in a way, so I went back and added yeah. more edits to it. But um, yeah, yeah, it was. I could have easily posted it. Um, but it's something like if they can do 80% of the work and you can polish off the last 20 to match your voice yeah. or whatever, whatever you want to do, like if they can, if you can offload all that time that you spend editing it and spend that time recording two more podcasts, like you just have way more to work with. And, um, I struggle with that too. And that's something I'm also exploring. Um, yeah, cause I'm I'm, I'm the same as you when it, when it's your baby as well, like you don't want to like, obviously you've got your personality Mm -hmm. and I've saw your edits on YouTube and like the snap here with the copy and the images and everything, but it's really hard. Like, cause I was originally going to get the the editor to do like the intro and there's, have you ever watched Diary of the CEO? I don't know if have you ever watched that podcast? I've seen snippets and it's something that I yeah. I want to like I know I'll get into it. I know I'll be super interested, but I just yeah, haven't. Yeah. It's one of those things I've just kind of like but, not I, I will they, eventually. They've, yeah. They've literally got like an editor which just does like the intros for the podcast and they're so they're so fucking like they're so good. Like you watch the intros yeah. for the podcast and you're like, I wanna watch like that episode. So like I'm trying to take like a page out of that book and I'm like trying to, but yeah, it's it's like yeah. anything like with your page, like you're constantly growing and you're kind of, yeah, trying to make it bigger as it goes along kind of thing. Yeah, man. I mean, Hey, yeah. again, if you want to talk shop ever, um, yeah. I'm always open to it. Cause I, I love hearing about that stuff and, and hearing about yeah. what works. There's not a ton of like content creators who are, are like, I guess think this way or I mean, or open to talking about it. So yeah. I always like to meet and talk to people from different yeah. fields if I can. Just, just before we wrap up on the podcast then, if there was one piece of advice you would give to content creators kind of listening, what would that advice be? <laughs> I guess I have to think about it. Um, spot, yeah. <laughs> do it like, what's what's the term that they use in business? It's like the MVP. It's like the most, like like the, the least amount of, like making a prototype that's like, I guess I'm probably butchering this, but I guess what I would say to a content creator would be like, find a way to do your idea, but do it in a way that's like scalable to you. Like what we were talking about with the, the, the phone, like, um, if, if you are so intimidated by like, you know, using, how do I learn how to use a camera? How do I learn how to use an editing software? How do I do this? Like the only way you're going to learn is, is, is by doing it, but also you need to start somewhere. Um, and where you start isn't where you're going to finish. So like, I remember asking 
talking to a few entrepreneurs uh, like four years ago, actually, when I was, I wanted to start like a clothing business, I think it was, or what was it? I had a few ideas. I wanted to do like a gluten-free beer and I wrote like a business uh, uh, case for it, um, a whole business plan. And I asked some advice and both of the people said, just start, just do it. Like you need to start somewhere. And if you start just filming yourself on your phone, it might turn into you filming yourself on a DSLR and learning how to edit. Like I've learned so much over the last four years, you just need to start. um, And I would start in the the easiest way to do it possible, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. And even like Mr. Beast was like, just create a hundred videos. And by the hundred one, like that's when I'll yeah. speak to you. Cause it, cause he gets a lot of like creators being like, Oh, like, what do you think of my videos? He's like, just make a hundred videos. And then after hundred one, I'll come to you and maybe give you some like feedback of like how to make it better or the thumbnail or whatever. hundred percent. Yeah. Your first yeah. video is going to suck. It's just is, <laughs> I mean, it's not going to yeah. be the one that makes you viral or something. And yeah, you got to learn. It's like anything you got to yeah. start. You need, you need at bats, but yeah, I, I mean, I think editing and stuff is intimidating to some people. So just start by recording yourself talking and gradually learn. And in a year, you'll probably yeah. be a good editor, um, at least on TikTok or Instagram or something like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, honestly, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast to kind of share your story. And honestly, it's been interesting how you kind of like done it full time and obviously kind of the, the merchandise drops. It's been really interesting to kind of get your kind of insights into that. If anyone wants to kind of follow your page, Phil, would you like to share it on the podcast? Yeah, it's just uh, Phil Hates Gluten on everything. Um, Instagram and TikTok are pretty much my two main things, but I do post to Facebook. I post in, uh, YouTube shorts, and I'm trying to build up my YouTube page a little bit with different ideas yeah. like, um, you know, taste testing, having friends taste test like gluten foods versus gluten free foods and see if they can taste the difference. And um, if you yeah, have anything you want to see, o- let me Aria know. Ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have anything you want to see, let me know because again, I, I need any ideas that I can get. Uh, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm no. here breaking my brain every day. <laughs> I've been break down, but like, I need more ideas. But yeah, honestly, <laughs> yeah. it's been it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. I've really enjoyed it, and yeah, make sure to give Phil a follow on the podcast on the podcast on the social yeah. channels. But yeah, <laughs> cheers, Phil.